episode 69 of the Truth Quest podcast, the truth about white privilege. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and topics such as white privilege, impeachment, negative interest rates, Walmart, the federal income tax, or wealth tax comes up, please share the topic-specific TruthQuest episode with your debate partner, which is available on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, and Podbean.com. The video version of the podcast are available on YouTube, BitChute, and Brighton. If you're listening to this on the Apple Podcast app, please take a moment and scroll down on the podcast page and give it a five-star rating. Another way you can help grow the show is throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through Twitter and Facebook advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for a link. Finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. This episode is not meant to be provocative, just thought-provoking. Before commenting below, for those of you who are watching the video version of the podcast, make sure you have answered the questions posed throughout the episode. Secondly, this is a connect the dots episode. I'm going to tackle the topic of white privilege while connecting the dots between it and other causes endorsed by certain segments of the population. So let's get started. Whenever this topic comes up in conversation, the first thing you must do is ask the other person to define the term. And after they do that, ask them what they propose we do about it. More on that in a minute. But here are a few definitions I came across during my research for this episode. Let's just start with the simplest of all things, the dictionary definition of privilege. A special right, advantage, or immunity granted or available only to a particular person or group. Now the dictionary definition of white privilege is inherent advantages possessed by a white person on the basis of their race in a society characterized by racial inequality and injustice. Other definitions. White privilege denotes both obvious and less obvious passive advantages that white people may not recognize they have, which distinguishes it from overt bias and prejudice. These include cultural affirmations of one's own worth, presumed greater social status, and freedom to move, buy, work, and play, and speak freely. The effects can be seen in professional, educational, and personal contexts. The concept of white privilege also implies the right to assume the universality of one's own experience, marking others as different or exceptional while perceiving oneself as normal. Here's another one. White privilege or white skin privilege is a societal privilege that benefits white people over non-white people, particularly if they are otherwise under the same social, political, or economic circumstances. Here's another. White privilege is not something that white people necessarily do create or enjoy on purpose. It refers more to the phenomenon that social systems award preference based on the presumptions of white as the norm. It goes on. It's the level of societal advantage that comes with being seen as the norm in America, automatically conferred irrespective of wealth, gender, or other factors. It makes life smoother but it's something you would barely notice unless it were suddenly taken away or unless it had never applied to you in the first place. Just by virtue of being a white person of any kind, you're part of the dominant group which tends to be respected, assumed the best of, and given the benefit of the doubt. Gina Crossley Corcoran, writing for the Huffington Post, wrote, 
quote, recognizing privilege doesn't mean suffering shame or guilt for your lot in life. Nobody's saying that straight, white, middle-class, able-bodied males are a bunch of assholes who don't work hard for what they have. Recognizing privilege simply means being aware that some people have to work much harder just to experience the things you take for granted, if they ever can experience them at all. Then there's this often quoted white privilege slogan, if you don't see it, you have it. White privilege has been described as an invisible package of unearned assets that a white person in America can count on cashing in each day, but to which they remain largely oblivious, and an invisible weightless knapsack of special provisions. Is it just me, or do any of you find it interesting that it is characterized only as an American phenomenon? And the fact that it's unseen, it's invisible, white people are not aware of it, it's almost as if it's a virus or something. You can be a carrier, but you don't manifest any symptoms. Here's my first attempt to connect the dots. Some of these people who go around talking about white privilege are the same people who thumb their nose at religious people because they worship an unseen deity. So an unseen societal faux pas is tangible enough to require attention, but an all-powerful omnipotent god is not. Have you noticed that there's a whole lot of assuming going on here? The descriptions are obscure and unmeasurable, passive, and inherent advantages, benefits, whites over non-whites. Life is smoother, but you don't know it, of course. Freedom to move, work, and play. White privilege is in the air. And it presumes a society characterized by racial inequality and injustice. Again, two largely undefinable terms. Not so fast, some of you might be saying. There's lots of specific examples for white privilege. Well, you would be right about that. I collected a dozen or so. You tell me how well they make the case. White privilege means not having to worry about being stopped and frisked or monitored while you walk through a store. White privilege means you don't have to worry about being pulled over by the cops for no reason. White privilege means no one questions why you got that really great job. It's assumed you were just highly qualified. White privilege means you can be articulate and well-spoken without people being surprised. You have white privilege if you grew up with the, an expectation that images on TV, in books, and at movie theaters would share your racial identity. If you have never felt the burden of representing your race, you have white privilege. You have white privilege if you have never been presumed as intellectually inferior or incapable solely because of the color of your skin. If this country had never debated the monetary value of all the people who look like you, you have white privilege. You have white privilege if there have never been laws passed to, pre to prevent your full participation in democracy. If you have never been characterized based solely on the color of your skin, you have white privilege. If you can see your race widely represented in the media, you probably have white privilege. If your skin color does not reflect on your financial responsibility when you make a purchase, you probably have white privilege. Then there are three of the most often cited statistics to prove how racist America is and how clueless those with white privilege really are. Black children make up the larger percentage of school suspensions. Black defendants are more likely to be in prison than white defendants for the same crime. And blacks make up a larger percentage of the incarcerated population than they do in the general population. What do you think? Were those specific examples useful in refuting my claim that the evidence seems a little bit sparse? My first reaction is, a lot of people spend a lot of time defining white privilege. What could the collective minds currently stewing over white privilege accomplish that would really benefit the world? 
there's an awful lot of getting into other people's heads when it comes to proving the existence of white privilege. Think about it. Not having to worry, assuming white skin equals highly qualified in the eyes of someone else. The expectations people have, people not being surprised, the burdens that people feel, what they presume. Referencing historical events such as slavery, as well as Jim Crow and other discriminatory laws, without mentioning the extent the country went through in order to rid them seems disingenuous. Assuming one cause for all of society's ills is like a hammer looking for a nail. The financial comment seems like a stretch. I mean, if the check clears or the card transaction is authorized, you're good to go regardless of your skin color. And the often cited statistics about school suspension, sentencing inequities, and prison populations assume skin color is the only variable that is considered in those decisions. Principals see a black kid misbehaving, and they suspend them simply because of their skin color. Judges, prosecutors, and police officers all do the same thing with respect to suspects and defendants. It seems like a shallow approach that's not substantiated by empirical evidence. Nikki Truesdell, writing for Foundation for Economic Education, wrote, quote, Gender and race do not make a person a success or a failure. It's what they do with the circumstances they find themselves in that determine their future. It's not privilege that results in success or failure. It's what you do. It's how hard you work. Who you are is chance. Who you become is up to you. She goes on, Let's stop labeling people as privileged because of what they look like. Let's stop hating success. Let's stop taking on the false guilt that somehow makes us feel politically acceptable. Let's stop wearing the badge of guilt like some kind of martyr and instead be thankful for whatever gifts we have received, end quote. Walter E. Williams suggests that we replace the word white privilege with achievement, and I would add meritocracy and ambition. Let's shift the focus. One of the problems with the obscure nature of the idea of white privilege is it opens up a can of worms. After all, what other privileges exist that require similar awareness? American privilege? Think about someone in a third world nation watching American TV and hearing someone talk about white privilege. What about first world privilege? Wouldn't it be more productive to focus on what we do have rather than looking for areas of divisiveness? What about two-parent household privilege? What about human privilege? You got life, the sun, the clouds, the mountains, rain, snow. What about Christian, Jewish, or Muslim privilege? Male privilege. I mean, if there's white privilege, the white male privilege has got to be the height of evil. What about Nigerian-American privilege? Look at the statistics on education and income. What about zip code privilege? How about Asian privilege? They're academically gifted and as a group are one of the wealthiest groups in America. Is there black privilege in South Africa? Do office workers have privilege over blue-collar workers? Some people are privileged in their God-given characteristics. They're smarter, stronger, they're better looking, they're faster, they're skinnier, they're taller, they're harder working, more driven, they're better communicators. What about food and shelter privilege, mental health privilege, physical health privilege? Is there straight privilege? What about left-wing privilege? After all, they have the media, the education system, a large portion of the judiciary, and they have control over huge government bureaucracies. That certainly is a privilege or advantage. As I mentioned in the opening, the first thing you need to do when discussing this or any topic that might be a little contentious is have your friend define their terms. That's just a best practice when debating or discussing anything. 
When it comes to topics like white privilege, the second question you should ask is, what do you propose we do about it? Few people seem to have an answer to this. On one extreme, you have slavery reparations. And on the other extreme, you have simple awareness and acknowledgement. Somewhere in between, you will see references to equality of outcomes and social justice. You know, level the playing field. What about affirmative action and quota initiatives? We've been doing this for decades. Have they helped the cause? Don't they level the playing field? I mean, apparently not, given the amount of attention white privilege gets here in the 21st century. In fact, couldn't the argument be made that the recipients of the affirmative action or quotas now have a privilege or an advantage over everyone else? And is that okay? If one privilege is bad, then isn't any others? Oh, I see. We're righting a systemic wrong by imposing affirmative action and quotas. Are we knowingly or unknowingly punishing people with white skin? Isn't that discriminatory? If discrimination is bad when imposed on one race, why isn't it bad when imposed on another? So what's really going on here? There are well-intentioned individuals that throw around the idea of white privilege when discussing race in America. There are also useful idiots in the crowd as well. Now this is not meant to be an insult. I used to be one. More on that in a second. Useful idiots refers to people who latch on to a person, a cause, or a talking point and ride it despite evidence that may refute it. The concept is as old as mankind. Think about recent history. People who defended Bill Clinton, no matter what. People who defended George W. Bush, no matter what. People who defended Barack Obama, no matter what. People who defended Hillary Clinton, no matter what. People who defend Donald Trump, Nancy Pelosi, Adam Schiff, no matter what. Climate change advocates who ride the claims regardless of the facts. Abortion advocates who ride the practice all the way to partial birth abortion. Partisan hacks of all stripes who defend their guy or gal, no matter what. Useful idiots feast on slogans, name-calling, and slander in order to justify their policy positions. More on that in a minute. What they all have in common is they have no interest in exploring or hearing an alternative explanation that might point out the flaws in their thinking. When I first started really paying attention to national politics, I was a useful idiot for the Republican Party. Until I wasn't. Until I started allowing other points of view to seep into my pro-GOP no matter what pickled brain. As I have outlined in other episodes, the left wing are professional propagandists. They can take any topic and twist it in such a way to make it divisive. They hijack the language in order to justify their policy positions. They have tried and to a certain extent have been successful in changing the definition of marriage and gender. They call abortion pro-choice. They call health care a right. They claim that illegal immigration is not illegal. They claim billionaires are immoral. A privilege used to be something of value. It was a gift. Now it's supposed to spark disgust. They've made discrimination synonymous with oppression. The only problem is we discriminate every day in every decision we make. Oppression is a legal issue. Discrimination is a frame of mind issue. All of this is done to feed the useful idiots a steady diet of talking points in which they can latch onto in order to deflect any counterpoints made by someone who disagrees with them. You must keep the big picture in mind. See, the National Democrats no longer garner anywhere near majority support. They are forced to cobble together a coalition of perceived aggrieved groups. You'll get a flavor of that here in a few minutes, but suffice it to say, race is their ace in the hole. It's their go-to move. Driving the white privilege message is perfect for what they are trying to accomplish. So I pose the question, 
Could it be that the concept of white privilege is really an insidious method to divide us? You know, vote for us and we will right the wrongs of society, either real or perceived. These folks see no need to point out all efforts made in this country to rectify past sins, including fighting a war, passing dozens of anti-discrimination laws, and finally, the most and most importantly, living by Judeo-Christian principles that recognizes all people are made in God's image. When it comes to awareness of white privilege, the claim goes something like this. The cause simply wants white Americans to open their eyes to how white privilege impacts their lives every day, how their privilege unfairly benefits them when it comes to wealth and power. Through this awareness, they will renew their commitment to racial equality and stop being an impediment to racial equality and start deconstructing and dismantling the systems of privilege that benefits whites and creates an America free of race hatred and bigotry, all in the name of racial equality. Now, I pulled most of that verbiage from a YouTube video from a white pastor at the United Church of Christ as he introduced people to their white privilege curriculum, free to download from their site if you're interested. Even here, you probably noticed the guy uses lots of words to say, well, nothing. Unfairly benefits, wealth and power, race equality, racial equity, being an impediment, deconstructing and dismantling. I mean, he's wanting to create this utopian society with no hate and bigotry. I'm sorry, but he may mean well, but that's embarrassing. We are told that acknowledging or checking our privilege reminds us to look for people of different identities and to actively seek to understand their unique experiences, oppression, and viewpoints. That's called empathy or sympathy. That's called being a God-fearing person. Writing for the Washington Post, Christina Embo wrote, quote, Acknowledge one's privilege is just a reminder to be aware, aware that you might not be able to fully understand someone else's experiences or that the assumptions you were brought up with may be binding you to certain concerns. That awareness is key to any sort of civil discussion about race, class, or anything else. End quote. Again, lots of words, low on specifics. How can anyone fully understand anyone else's experiences, independent of skin color? We are blind to others' concerns and unable to participate in civil discussions about race or anything else, unless we acknowledge our privilege? And then what? Like the blind man that Jesus healed, we were blind, but now we see after we acknowledge our privilege? Do all policy debates need to begin with the white person stating, I acknowledge my white privilege? Here's my second connect the dots attempt. See, I don't see the intentions of all white privilege warriors as pure. Because when I read their words and listen to them speak and watch them debate people who don't subscribe to their view of society, it appears to me that ultimately they are interested in suppressing debate. White privilege is just another arrow in their quiver. The left has been doing it for years. Men can't have an opinion about abortion because they don't have a uterus. People with differing opinions about a host of topics are suppressed for a variety of reasons, usually through shaming, character assassination, and name-calling. I discussed this in detail in episode 50, The Truth About Party Over Principle, where I argue that the left employs two methods of name-calling designed to suppress debate and delegitimize their opponents. They have a general version and a specific version. The general version manifests itself in the assumption that if you oppose any government action, then you are opposed to its intended outcome. Think about more money for education. If you're opposed to throwing more good money after bad, you are opposed to educating the children. You're a teacher hater. Think about more money for Medicare or Medicaid. 
If you're opposed to these wasteful, fraud-ridden programs, you oppose health care for the poor and elderly. If you think privatizing Social Security or allowing young folks to opt out is a good idea, you hate old people. And like Paul Ryan, you're depicted as pushing a wheelchair-bound grandma off a cliff. Here are a few of my favorite examples of the specific version of name-calling and slandering that the left employs. If you don't believe in the man-made global warming climate change hysteria, you are called stupid and ridiculous, a denier, a dissenter. The science is settled. Sit down and shut up. If you oppose gay marriage, you're a homophobe. Sit down and shut up. Opposed to affirmative action, you're a bigot and a racist. Sit down and shut up. Opposed to socialized medicine, Obamacare, Medicare for all, you're an evil monger and you want to deny people health care, so sit down and shut up. Opposed to amnesty for illegal immigration, you're a xenophobe and a Nazi, so sit down and shut up. Believe in the Second Amendment? You are cold-blooded, a gun fanatic. You want more mass shootings, so go sit down and shut up. If you're opposed to going to war, you're an isolationist. If you're an advocate for going to war, you're a warmonger. You don't believe income inequality is the biggest challenge facing the nation? You're an insensitive, hateful, rich elitist, so sit down and shut up. You are pro-life? You're anti-women. You're waging a war on women, so sit down and shut up. Opposed to raising the minimum wage? You're heartless. Opposed to men who identify as women going into a women's bathroom? You're a bigot and a homophobe and shallow. So go sit down and shut up. You're an advocate for welfare reform? You're callous and cruel. You hate poor people. Sit down and shut up. If you don't roll out the red carpet for the LBGTQ agenda, you're intolerant, a transphobe. So go sit down and shut up. What if you are religious? You're old-fashioned. You're closed-minded, a fanatic. Leave your views in church. And then go sit down and shut up. As Trisha Beck Peter, writing for the Foundation for Economic Education, explains, we've gotten to a point where everyone is literally given a privilege score, which determines what you can discuss in polite company. Quote, pro-life male students are silenced under the no uterus, no opinion doctrine. Discussions on racial issues are only permitted if the party being condemned is white. Questioning any aspect of Islam by a privileged party was instantly classified as an Islamophobia. End quote. So, what to do? Probably sit down and shut up. She goes on to explain that checking your privilege is, quote, not an invitation to reflect on the lasting effects of prejudice. It's a gag order. Privilege became a system to redistribute free speech to groups who had historically been oppressed. But like all systems of redistribution, it was built on theft. Rather than opening up the forums for all to speak freely, unencumbered by their ancestry, Check Your Privilege and its accompanying rhetoric made minority opinions heard by silencing the majority, end quote. Gary Galls, writing for Mises.org, said, quote, In a sense, checking your privilege largely amounts to check your premises behind your views. And some folks may think that it is useful in advancing conversations about a variety of issues. However, it incorporates an hominem fallacy that because you are judged as bad or part of an oppressor class, your argument is false, end quote. Regardless of the intentions of your friend, coworker, or spouse who talks about white privilege, there is good evidence to support the claim that that concept is used to shut down debate. It's used as a silencing tactic. It's used to shift the argument from empirical evidence base to a personal, emotional, and ultimately an unanswerable attack on an opponent. 
How can you be allowed to have an opinion on X, Y, and Z given your privileged background? Why can't we just have a civil conversation? Because the left cannot win an argument based on its merits. Therefore, we must divulge into name-calling, character assassination, and public shaming. So what does all this accomplish? Well, first of all, most obvious, this type of talk provides an excuse for some people to reside in a state of permanent victimhood. It provides an excuse not to try to succeed. After all, according to all of these political, academic, and media talking heads, no matter what some people do, they are up against an overwhelming force known as white privilege. What does the claim really accomplish? It seems to breed division, divisiveness, envy, and offer excuses for someone's lack of success. Or is it more nefarious? Are politicians who plant these seeds looking to make themselves the saviors of the perceived downtrodden? Think about the way the National Democratic Party has treated African-American voters over the last 50 or 60 years. They've been taken for granted. Lots of promises have been made, including leveling the playing field tilted by white privilege. Vote for us, and we will right every perceived wrong. Only problem is, very little ever changes. Does silencing the privileged help the disadvantaged? Does taking from the privileged help the disadvantaged? Does wagging a finger at the privileged help the disadvantaged? What is gained by looking at a white person and declaring, you are not legitimate because of the advantages you had growing up because of the color of your skin? Similarly, I don't understand what is gained by looking at a black person and declaring, whatever roadblocks you have encountered in life are because of your skin color. How do either of these approaches move the human race forward? At what point can we get rid of the color coding and privilege coding of everything in life? At what point in history would you say the severity of white privilege has declined? How do you measure it? Can it be charted? Think about a graph with the x-axis being the years going back to 1900 and the y-axis being the level of white privilege. What does that line look like? Is it upward shifting left to right? Does it level off? Does it go down? Or does it just continue to rise? Growing up poor, growing up with one parent, growing up in a crime-ridden area, growing up with no one encouraging you to excel in school, growing up with mental illness in the house, growing up with drug and alcohol addiction and abuse, does not discriminate by race or skin color. If you are a God-fearing person, believe in God in any form, Christian, Jewish, Muslim, do you think God wants you to sit around and feel sorry for yourself because you don't have some kind of human-defined privilege based on the color of your skin? Or does he want you to take the gifts he gave you and make the world a better place? Is it better to spend time pondering or festering your lot in life on bad luck, discrimination, and prejudice? Or is it better use of your time to figure out how to improve your lot in life despite the obstacles placed in front of you? That's a perspective on the privilege claim that bothers me most. It's a crutch, an obstacle, a roadblock to moving forward. It keeps you stuck where you are. I'd rather hear someone say, I may be underprivileged, but I'm not going to let that stop me, than to listen to people rage against others who they perceive as having a leg up in society. What possible good can come from that? Please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. 